Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. That's our final video, our final missions partner that you've gotten to meet throughout the summer. And what we have been very intentional about this because we want you to see and to know names to know the names of the people that we talk about. And when you hear events that happen in Poland or in Myanmar or in Venezuela, or if you hear things that happen in Price Hill, that you're going to know some names of people that we are connected to who are reaching out in the love of Jesus, in the good times and in the, in the crises. And names, names are powerful. Did you know that when someone says your name, there's actually different parts of your brain that light up, that you are drawn to your name. I specifically wore this shirt to show you guys because when we went to Kansas City, everywhere I saw was Casey, and I felt like it was talking to me. Casey, I, Kansas City, it's, it's my, new, my new place. Saw my name, my initials everywhere, and that meant a lot to me. Names, names, they validate us. But they can, they can be harsh. They can be hard. Because we didn't always get to choose our name at birth. But maybe some of you, maybe you've changed your name. Maybe you were called a really weird nickname when you were a kid. And you were like, I'm an adult now. No more. Here's what you're going to call me. Because it reflects your journey. Maybe you have legally changed your name. Because you have honored a spouse or a family member. And you did something to reflect that in your name. Names are so important. And there's power. And there is also identity in our names. But today, we're going to read almost to the end of Ruth chapter 4. And we're going to recognize that the names people give us, they don't always have to stick. We get to redefine the names that people give us. We get to redefine who we are in our own name. And we get the chance to live in the honor of other people's names. So let's dig in. We're going to go to Ruth chapter 4. If you want to turn there, if you grab a pew Bible, I think it's page 189. As you're turning, I'm going to recap our bittersweet series. Naomi was a Jewish woman who survived famine. She lost a husband. She lost two adult sons to death. And she returned home to Israel with one of her daughters-in-law. She left Israel sweet, but she declared that Yahweh, the Lord God, had made her bitter. Ruth, she is the daughter-in-law who accompanied Naomi. She returned to a land that was not her own. She's from Moab, which is an enemy of Israel. And as she joined Naomi's culture, the two women lived as widows on the margins of society, struggling to survive. But Ruth went out to harvest every day to provide for her and Naomi. And at one point, Naomi realized that they needed some more long-term survival. And in their society, the best option was to connect to a man. So Naomi tries to play matchmaker with Ruth and Boaz. Something happened in the night that we don't know the details of, but Ruth pretty much proposes to Boaz. 
And he says yes. That was last week. We said that Boaz, he seemed willing to take on Ruth into his life. But he said, here's the thing. There is this law, this tradition in, this, in our society. I'm one of your relative redeemers. But there's somebody who's more closely related to your family, to Naomi's family. And he's got to have the first right to say yes or no. So today, we've been left on a cliffhanger. Today, we're going to see what happens. And we're going to read from Boaz's point of view. We've kind of heard from Ruth. We've kind of seen things from Naomi's life. And now, we're going to see from Boaz. So as we turn to Ruth chapter 4, let me begin in verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Okay, every week we have been in a different location, and so we're going to start off with our setting again, and I've got some visuals. This is the town gate, and as you can see, this excavation you see how there's little chambers? This is an, is an ancient gate. This would be right at the entrance to the town. And you think of a gate, it's not just the place that you're walking into, but it's this whole communal place. It's a marketplace. Legal action happens here. Decisions are made for the town here. And they have these little quadrants, different rooms you could sit in. And if you want to flip to the next slide, we've got kind of a, on the left side, you'll see a rendering of what they think that might have looked like if the space was enclosed and you would go spend time there. The leaders of the town, which would be known as elders in this text, they would gather there and you could, you could make some decisions about the town. You could, if you had a legal transaction to make, you'd be in the, in the presence of witnesses and all kinds of things was happening at the town gate. So that's where Boaz went to hang out. And he was waiting for this guy to come along, this guy. So we've said guardian redeemer is one of our terms that we have talked about for several weeks now. It means this is a family member who I say has the honor, but also kind of like the legal right to go and step in and help a family member in need. So if someone was financially struggling, they wanted to sell land, your guardian redeemer would have kind of the obligation to come along and say, I'll buy the land for you and I will keep farming it in our family name, in your honor, so that you can be supported with funds. We keep the land in our name because that was very important to keep the land in the name. So here we've got this guardian redeemer who is related to Naomi. We haven't met him yet. Boaz sees him coming along And if you'll see where I read, come over here, my friend, and sit down. Well, what we translate into my friend, the Hebrew is, I'm going to say it wrong, poloni almoni. Like it's supposed to be kind of rhymey, like phony baloney, poloni almoni. Like it's supposed to be this kind of like rhyming little thing. And basically he's not calling the guy by name. He's like, hey, you, come here. Uh, Come over here. So-and-so over there. Yeah, you, come here. So he's kind of like not honoring the guy maybe a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit of an insult. And we never, we never learn this dude's name. And there could be something about it. Like whoever wrote this story down was like, eh, maybe he wasn't worthy to know his name. Because he has been a guardian redeemer. If he's closely related to Naomi, 
we have talked about, word has gotten around town that Naomi lives there, that Ruth has followed her, that they're both in this destitute situation, and yet where has this guy been? I mean, at best, he was just a little clueless, oblivious. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 through 4. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, has a, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And the guy says, I will redeem it. Okay, so this is news to us in the story. This whole time we've been talking about how is Naomi and Ruth going to survive. We didn't know that Naomi had some land. Remember when Ruth went out to glean, we said there was all this land on the outskirts of town. And different people owned different plots. Well, Ruth didn't, she went to glean in the field of Boaz, but... Now we find out that Naomi has some land too. Maybe she hasn't been able to take care of it. Maybe it's just sat there for years when they left and go to Moab. We're not really sure. But because Naomi is a widow with no children, she has the right to choose what to do with her land. So apparently she does want to sell it in order to get some finances now. Maybe they've realized that it's come to that. But... I'm sitting here thinking like, well, the last week we left off the story of Ruth and we're worried about her as a person. And now we're talking about land. And I'm just like, where he hasn't brought Ruth up yet. I just keep singing Destiny's Child like, say my name, say my name. Where's Ruth? Okay, it's coming. Verse five, Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Hey, buy one, get one free. The dead man's widow, you will maintain the name of the dead with this property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So yeah, he kind of snuck in this big reveal like, oh, if you buy the land, you're gonna get a wife. Yay. Kind of like a hidden part of the contract. This is interesting for several reasons. First of all, the idea of, of marrying a widow in order to have a child in the dead husband's name was a scenario that they had back then, leave a right marriage. And it was mainly done, though, with brothers. Like if the oldest brother had a wife and he died, the younger brother was supposed to marry the widow and have a child in his brother's name. That was their tradition. So here, Boaz is bringing it up to not brothers. They're not brothers to Naomi's husband, to Ruth's husband. They're relatives. So he's kind of like sneaking this custom in. But also, the, the guardian redeemer, the unnamed so-and-so guy, says this is going to damage his estate. The problem would be is if, if he were to marry Ruth and they have a son in honor of her dead husband, Malon, remember his name, Malon, if they have a son in his name, then when the son becomes of age, he inherits the property. So here this guy's paying for land, supporting Ruth. Oh, she's got a mother-in-law he's going to be supporting also. 
And then he's going to have this land that's not even going to go to him. So he's just like, nope, doesn't seem like a good business deal to me. Not taking the chance to honor the family. He says, you do it. Okay, let's keep reading. I think, no, wait, I have one more thing to share. I kept wondering why in the world did Boaz wait? Why did he say the land first and then sneaks in Naomi or Ruth? I think the situation is this. Because Ruth was, number one, they were not the brothers. Because this was not traditional, I think Boaz is trying to sneak in like this, this way to take care of her. Like maybe he thought, how in the world can we get this in? Okay, I'm going to start with the land, make a big deal about the land, and then we'll sneak in Ruth and see how it goes. Maybe also he knows that there was this verse in Deuteronomy, in the law, that said an Israelite was not supposed to promote the welfare of a Moabite. Remember we talked about these people had been enemies. There was some bad blood with these countries. And so people, were, they didn't even have to care about the Moabites according to law. But Boaz does care. And so he's trying to find a way to like get people on his side and take care of Ruth. So if he promotes it as a land deal, Ruth is just taken care of in, in the parentheses, right? Verse 7. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to another. I was going to take off my shoe, but that seems like a lot. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. So in front of all these witnesses, Boaz pulls off a marriage to a Moabite. And he's keeping up this family name. He's honoring Elimelech. So therefore, he's honoring Naomi. He's honoring Malon and honoring Ruth. This sense of names tied to the land, a sense of belonging, a people connected to a place. This was very important to them at this time in this culture. And so this was a very great honor for them to act not on their own behalf, but on the names of others so that those names would not be forgotten. One more fun fact that I've yet to reveal to you is that Boaz, let's look at his name. Boaz's name means strength. And in fact, the only other time that we see the word Boaz in the Bible, it's in First Kings, where I think I have a slide, Dylan, if you want to click on that, where one of the pillars of the temple is named Boaz, interestingly enough, because it's strength. But I like that this commentator says that Boaz here actually means the pillar of a community, is kind of how she felt, because the strength was seen in Boaz in Bethlehem, where they lived, And Boaz used his strength to honor the names of his relatives. Let's keep reading and see how the town reacts. The elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home 
like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. There's a lot of names there, and we're actually going to dig into some of those stories next week. Teaser, come back. But all of this is to say, they are talking about people who were their ancestors and people who were revered in the Jewish community, in their society, in their town. And now this is a big deal because they are praising Ruth with the same honor, with the same nobility that they would be praising people from their own Jewish community. And you see how she's being welcomed in by these words. They want her to be a piece of their heritage, saying, may you bring to our community the same glory, the same honor that these women in the past have brought to us. So here Ruth is seen as a worthy match to, the, to marry the pillar of the community. And now we finish with verses 13 through 17 that says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, has been better to you than seven sons, and she has given him birth. Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I sit here and I just think, I wish we could have heard from Ruth. I don't know why the storyteller stops talking to them. Yeah, we don't hear words from Ruth or Naomi here. I just wonder, how did that feel? We said that Ruth might have been making these choices. We don't know how joyful they were or not, but we hope that her choices to survive did end up bringing her some joy. And Naomi She'd been holding on to this bitterness. She'd been saying that the Lord was against her. But did she get to now, like, let go of that? Did she feel some sweetness again when she held her grandchild in her arms? She did not speak Yahweh's name, but the women of her town, her friends, they said, look, this is what the Lord has done for you. This child is like the new redeemer for you. He will, he will care for you just as you care for him. And Obed's name means one who serves. And this baby served as both a remembrance of the past and a hope for the future. So while we don't hear words from them directly, this is what I get from it. I get that Ruth was called many names. She was called Moabite, foreigner, widow, poor, destitute. But she exceeded the expectations that went along with those names. And her actions, people gave her new names. Chesed, loving kindness, hard worker, committed, loyal, honorable, noble. 
These are the words people began to call Ruth when they looked beyond her appearance and saw her heart. Ruth lived to honor other people's names. It said that she honored her first husband in life, and here she's honoring him in death. She honored Naomi in her commitment every day she lived and kept her promise to stand with Naomi. And now she's honoring Boaz because the people of the town said that her loving kindness reflected Yahweh, the Lord God, and was a good match for Boaz. Ruth's choice to go beyond the names that people chose for her, that's why I remember her name today, right? Her actions were written down, and we can remember her name. Naomi, she was given a name of sweetness, and she wanted to change that to Mara, bitter. She wanted to choose a new name to reflect her brokenness, but she did not sink under her circumstances. Naomi, she set out to make Ruth's name known. She put aside her own hopes for her future and tried to ensure that Ruth could survive. She looked beyond the fact that Ruth was a Moabite. Some people might use that as a slur. And she saw Ruth's heart and said, I see her goodness. Naomi, she reflected God's loving kindness even when she was angry at God. She couldn't help but demonstrate his love that was in her. And in the end, she received a new name of grandmother. Of all the women who've lived on the earth, all the different people forced to live on the margins, for some reason, we know Ruth and Naomi's names. And I think that matters. I want you to think about the names that have been given to you. Maybe you like your names. Maybe there's been some you've hated. Maybe you've changed some names. Maybe people have tried to label you with names to insult you. To your face or behind your back. Maybe they tried to lift you up with new titles and great honors. But ultimately, like Ruth and Naomi, you get to redefine your name. You can decide what people think of when they hear your name. Two things I want to look at. We can both redefine our names and we can live for other people's names. So first, redefine your name. I believe some of us in this room right now have struggled with or currently are struggling. Those of you watching online, do you hold a burden because somebody else has tried to give you a name? They've tried to give you a name and they've tried to give you a slur that went along with it, like Ruth, who was called a Moabite. If people call you names based on what you look like or where you're from, go beyond it. Ignore their words because remember, you were created in the image of God. And you were created with Jesus' love and no one's words can take that away. No one's names they give you can change your identity as created by God, as loved and redeemed by Jesus. Ruth was called a poor widow, but she harvested better than any of them. If people tell you you can't do something because you are a fill-in-the-blank with whatever name they tried to tell you, 
Remember that the skills and the talents placed in your life were put there by a creator with purpose, on purpose, for you to live and love and serve. You have purpose. You have a name. Yahweh knows your true name. He knows your true worth. And he has plans to use you long after you're here, like Ruth and Naomi. But I don't want us to forget that we don't live for ourselves alone. Ruth and Naomi, they lived for other people's names as well. And you are in relationship to someone else. You might be a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a sibling. You might be a best friend. You might be the person someone calls when everything falls apart. Or you might be the person they call when it's time to celebrate. You are in relationship with others. We talked about the importance of connectivity and why we don't live life alone. Therefore, the ways that we live in life are honoring other people's names as well. Who are you honoring? Are you trying to honor your past? Are you creating a legacy for the future? Maybe you're mentoring and leading the next generation. Maybe you're walking alongside and investing in your peers. Maybe you're caring for the history of those who came before you and made a way for you. Here, as part of Echo Church, our goal is to echo the name of Jesus in this city, throughout the world. You represent Echo. You represent Jesus. That's our call here. You have a name on your heart because whatever you do, Colossians says, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I hope you feel that calling and take it on you this week to use your name to lift up the name of Jesus to use your name to lift up the names of others. Naomi and Ruth, we've looked at their past, and next week we're going to look to their future because there's another name that we know them by, ancestors to Jesus. These two women who likely felt invisible were seen and known by name, and they were connected in the heritage of God who came to earth. Through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, he invites all of us into his love, into his redemption. And he says we can be connected to his name. That's why every week we take communion. We come down and and we eat a small piece of bread and and we drink some juice and it's to, to tangibly touch and feel and taste and remember that invitation from Jesus to be connected to his name, to be connected to his redemption. And I want us to just recognize that the God of the universe knows our names and he calls us by name. Let's pray together. We're going to take a time of communion and we're going to reflect on the name of Jesus. Yahweh, Lord God, you have created us in your name. 
And you've given us an identity. Ones who are chosen by you, created in your image. We thank you. And you've also called us out, called us to lift up your name and others' names with our lives. Help us to use what we have to connect to others, to make the world more like your love. Help us to show chesed, loving kindness, to all that we meet so that our name honors your name. Thank you for not just making us, but for having come to earth through Jesus to make a way for our future. We reflect on that now. We lift your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Echo Church. If you ever want to join us in person, we're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. That's E-C-H-O church dot O-R-G. Have a great week.